it's Sheila Hamilton. I'm a host of Beyond Well, and I just want you to listen in to a little of the conversation because this episode is all about meeting our doctors. I kept turning it off because I didn't want to have you guys worry I was recording you. Oh, yeah, very good. Because <laughs> you know I'm looking at the blue lights. I love yeah. how you pay attention course, to that. It's now beautiful. there's a decent chance that we are being recorded, so. <laughs> there you go. Clean it up, Jenna. Clean it up. <laughs> Although one of my greatest um, relief in podcasting is that you don't actually have to clean it up. I love that. Yeah, that is nice. It just, you, it, 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 there's an ease about right. talking when you don't actually have to clean it up. Oh, by the way. Huge breakthrough this weekend we got on YouTube as well. Oh, my God. What? Which, yeah, because um, I was doing all this research about how you actually meet young people where they are. And under the mm. age of 21, it is like yes. 90% YouTube. Yep. They don't wow. even 100%. use. They don't even. Instagram's too old. Wow. You yep. know, Snapchat mm-hmm. for content, they're going to YouTube. So um, my niece I, and nephew are only oh, on YouTube yeah. all well, the time. Yeah. So I hired um, an engineer to actually figure it out because getting an audio file onto video is inordinately difficult. And yeah. I was just like, I can't deal with the, these data batches anymore and try to figure out how to copy and paste them where. So anyway, within a couple of hours, he had it figured out. And I was like, yes. Oh my goodness. So big. Sweet. That's fantastic. Yeah, if we really kids. want to attract the younger oh listeners, gosh. maybe we should like play Fortnite. While we're doing this, <laughs> you know who plays Fortnite? Jason. Does he really? He does. It's so, so embarrassing. How like fantastic so would he be if he got like one of the, what do they call it? The Twitch accounts? Is it no? Is it called yeah, Twitch? We have Twitch. Yeah. We have Twitch at home. Do, you don't yeah. actually watch people play video games. Though, we you? watch people. We watch Critical Role, which is a group. But although it is very famous, I will say millions of viewers. We watch people play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Yep. You watch oh, I on YouTube. Oh I'm telling God. you, it's amazing. My niece has a following on Twitch because she plays video games, and but she's like, like an adult, like oh and not just God. barely. She's like a legit adult, and I'm like, you know, Alexis, they're watching because you're hot. That's like, yeah, like exactly. you have you have a bunch of fanboys, uh-huh. and she sits and play video games and just chats with them, and and like people pay. To oh. watch her. Now that's play weird. A video game. This is like people who are a group of friends. They're Hollywood voice actors, and they're a group of friends, like playing an actual game. Do they Not- do Hollywood voices as they watch? Well, they do. Yeah, they. I mean, in Dungeons and Dragons, you have characters, so they have oh, like fun. voices oh for their God. characters and stuff. It's that really fun. Like it's so beautiful. It and is, if you close your eyes, fun. can you be like, okay, do it in the voice of that person from The Incredibles? <laughs> <laughs> you know that's. <laughs> So part of the reason I wanted to um, to have this half hour is because I've had a lot of people who listen to the podcast say, oh, my God, I want to know more about the the doctors on this show. The doctors. And um, so that's why I'm leaving that part in about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because. I don't I do think- that. I will say I've never, I never oh, ever played, never played in my life until this winter and I started playing and it's now like my very favorite thing I do. I, I'm in two campaigns. I'm in two games. Wow, campaigns. that's cool. Yeah, campaigns. Is Sweet. it relaxing or do you find it yourself stressed out by no. the same concerns that you have in daily life? It's super relaxing, but the thing I really, two things I love about it. I love, I love storytelling. It's part of why I like therapy, actually. I like helping people sort of tell their stories. Yeah. But but D&D at its heart is about 
good storytelling. So I love that. But I also love that it's really cooperative yeah. and collaborative. And there, I just feel like there's so much in our life that is competitive and sort of this animosity and I'm going to kill more people than you're going to kill and blah, right. blah, blah. And this is just about like, hey. We're all on an adventure together. Yeah, exactly. We're all on this yeah. like cool so, adventure together. So if there are delays, delays, yeah. so if there are delays in you responding to a guest and we hear this little noise, oh, absolutely. it's you rolling dice. It's totally me rolling dice. It's Fern. Like, Fern, who is my rogue gnome. Thank you. I think we just completely added wow. Jenna as the total nerd that she is. That is I am a total I, nerd. I love Fantastic. that. I thought that that was probably one she's of the not best. A, she's not a nerd. She's a level 13 yeah. Peloton exactly. or whatever. I think that that was one of the best examples that could show that. And um, Fern. And for Brian, perhaps the best story that I actually think shows you and the exactness that you bring to the world is the story about you going camping. And I really want you to share it because when I met you, I thought that that was more indicative of a part of your personality that is so exact than any other story you could tell. Are we talking about when you got your backpack down to Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so undiagnosed OCPD. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got into backpacking and mostly solo backpacking, but I don't like um, I don't like hiking boots and shoes and so forth. And I also am not a very good camper. For somebody who loves to backpack, mm. once I set up camp and I put my tent up and I cook a little food, then I'm like. Okay, what do I do now? And then I like, and then I'm like, well, I, I mean, I guess I could sleep or so. I really would prefer to just walk. I would prefer to cover a lot of ground, um, which is probably why it's good that I'm alone because I go not super long, but uh, fifteen or twenty miles a day or something like that. Well, if you're walking fifteen or twenty miles a day and you don't like hiking boots, the trick is don't carry very much stuff. So I got into this, and it's a nice way to save money, except all that gear is kind of expensive when it's light. You know, it's like light, durable. um, Super cool looking. Light and durable and and cheap. Pick two. You know, you don't get all all three. (laughs) So the trick is, is like the way to save money and the way to save your feet is buy stuff that's light and don't buy very much because the lightest thing in your pack is the thing that you don't bring. So I got into this minimalist backpacking uh, ultralight where you try to trim off as much weight as you can without being so Spartan that you're uncomfortable. Like, I don't sleep under a poncho. I actually sleep in a tent, but I know exactly what my tent weighs. How much? Oh, gosh. It's been a little bit. It's been a while since I've packed it up, so I don't know right off the top of my head at the moment. But I had a little spreadsheet that had... Wow, you had a spreadsheet. Oh, no, wait. It's worse. It's worse. Wow. This is this is the part that Jenna thinks is super... Or no, that, that Sheila thinks is super <laughs> funny. Not only do I have a spreadsheet and I knew what everything in my pack weighed down to the eighth of an ounce, it bothered me that I would trim off something like a little bit of a handle on my toothbrush. Oh, my goodness. And I wouldn't lose any more... Uh, because this, so I switched from, uh, I switched from, uh, ounces to grams. So I would be able to be rewarded for my efforts to trim it down. So I was at some point like skin out. So, so all the clothes and my backpack and my clothes, uh, for 
three days of hiking, I was down to like 11 pounds. Did you do the swimmers thing of where you <clears> shaved <throat> all your body hair off and all of that? Because <laughs> no, that would be, no, well, you're not dedicated? That's, that's still skin. Oh. Like, that's okay. <laughs> I, I'm all right with, but that is such a good point. Like, if you're cycling, right, right. why buy carbon fiber spokes when you could just like lose a pound? <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you then, um, is that does that exactness show up in any other area of your life? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and so in therapy, it's so messy, and it is. and people's stories go all over, and people have difficult time actually coping with where they're at at a certain time. So, mm-hmm. how does that willingness, uh, a hope for exactitude? end up getting in the way? Yeah, that's a super, that's a super good question. And I, I, the, the answer that comes to my mind is that it's fun to be sort of exacting and precise, but it isn't important. It, wow. it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like it's, it's a game. It's a game to be like, Hey, I, you know, I found this thing that weighs only four ounces instead of nine ounces. And it's just kind of fun to try to do it. Um, it's probably like researching, like if you're going to buy a car and yeah. you spend all that time researching a car yeah. as if there's a right one to buy. And right. then you drive around and you see somebody else in the, in the Honda Odyssey versus the Toyota Sienna. You're like, well, clearly they didn't do their research. They picked the wrong one. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. It's a car. Like you just pick the one you like, but it's fun to, it's fun to learn. It's fun to, to tweak and fiddle. But at the end of the day, I know that none of that stuff matters. You know what? One of the best stories that I have that relates to that is I was dating this guy in college and he was like you are, lists, tons of research for any decision he made. It would take him forever to come to a decision because he (laughs) never wanted to make the wrong decision. He would spend hours on Consumer Digest. We were looking at bikes and he was like talking to dealers all over the country and thinking of having a bike made that was custom. And then finally, he told me that he was ready to make his bike decision. And one day coming home from work, I passed the truck store and there's this beautiful bike. It was so gorgeous. And the thing I went in and bought it and I brought it home and his bike arrived on the same day. They were the same bike. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. That's perfect. They oh were the my same gosh. bike. We had both chosen the same bike. Me with absolutely zero framework for understanding what I was buying. I just like the way it looked. I love and the, it. And the guy at the bike it. store told me it was a great bike and light you're enough like, sure, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. So, oh, so the, awesome. the thing about the bike is whether he bought the right bike or he bought the wrong bike, isn't it really into, it doesn't, isn't it really like where did you go? when you went cycling and who did you go with that's right did you experience and did you have fun and did you have your eyes open and were you present yeah so that's what i mean by it's fun to do it but when i'm backpacking i don't think Think about about stuff like that it's just i'm a little bit more comfortable and now it's about the view and now it's about the quiet but i will Um, guess that you're not picking up beautiful rocks as i do (laughs) (laughs) no not so much not so much not so much. It's really funny because there is a part of me that's pretty exacting like that. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like I'm, I listen to my heart a ton. Yeah. I'm not a particularly cerebral person when it comes to making decisions in yeah. my life. Um, and when I do things, I feel like, I feel like I act from my heart. That's what's so, I think one of the most interesting things about you, Brian, and I've known you longer than I've known Jenna, is that if I described you to someone, I would say he's the most heart-centered person for a male I have ever met. 
I really believe you lead the bulk of your life from that place. So when you told me all the things about your golfing and how exact you are in your pack and your like how... Uh, down to the minutia, and you and I have had this in editing where you are about, are, is it a slash or it is a dash, Sheila? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, does it matter, <laughs> Brian? <laughs> I mean, no, but, it, but but I notice it. No, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I wanted to ask wow. both of you how you came to understanding that psychology was going to be your passion, your path, your career path, essentially. Jenna? Uh. Well, as I said before, my, my father's a psychologist, but he's a neuropsychologist, so I'm a clinical psychologist, so those are two very different things. Um, I, But I definitely grew up in a household that was interested in human behavior and talking about emotions and that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I sort of had that, I'm kind of that classic, like, oh, I was always the one that people came to in school to tell their problems and, like... You know, that's sort of my story. So it's not this big stretch for where I kind of naturally was headed. Um, But I think my interest really is about um, relationships, like just sort of in general. I just really – I'm super interested in people's relationships and it felt like being a psychologist and particularly kind of the kind of psychologist that I am – um, helped give me a way to explore and help other people explore their relationships. Um, so that was kind of how it it happened. I I mean, I was somebody who, like, if you read, <laughs> if you read my um, fifth grade, I found no, was it fifth grade? It might have been even earlier. It might have been like third or fourth grade. I had to write this little like future autobiography thing, and it says like I'm Jenna Lejeune and I'm a clinical psychologist, and I went to either Georgetown or Boston College and blah 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 blah. And I had completely forgotten about this. <laughs> and turns out I found this a few years ago. I am a clinical psychologist. I applied to two colleges. They were Boston College and Georgetown. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of like I kind of knew, but then once I got out of graduate school actually the path stopped and that was a really difficult time for me because I had sort of known what the path was all the way until getting my PhD and then it like stopped and I had to figure out what I was going to do and and that was a real time of searching for me so how did how did you search I took um almost a year off and uh worked uh at a wild animal sanctuary um helping train cheetah um, it was a, yeah, Fantastic. it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And just did some soul searching and, uh, my partner helped me with that and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And so did the, being that close to the earth and nature and wild animals inform the decision at all? Um, it helped. Well, um, animals, non-human animals, um, I have a very special spot in my heart for them, especially, um, kind of the, the large mammals. Um, and I've spent quite a bit of time, um, with them and kind of doing stuff involved with them. Um, and so it's sort of my escape from where my mind naturally goes with thinking about all the complexities that we human animals have in our relationships. Yeah, so, super cool. Yeah. Brian, was your path at all similar? <clears throat> Did you have anyone in your family who was a psychologist or a therapist? No. no. Who, what what no. did they do? Not at all. Um, my dad's a pharmacist, and uh, my mom didn't work out of the house. Um, she, did a, she did for a little while uh, at a doctor's office, 
She was a receptionist, and my my dad was a pharmacist. My grandpa was a pharmacist. They had their own pharmacies, and I think that there was there was no pressure for me to go down that road, but it certainly was the vision that I had. And I went to college, not really knowing undergrad, not really knowing what I was going to major in. Wow. <clears throat> um, I actually started at a college in Southern California and was just, as a kid from Beaverton, Oregon, was just completely overwhelmed by life in Southern California. And I got horrible grades uh, and um, had sand in my books. I got a C, <laughs> I got a C in intro to psychology, oh, which I'm like Brian. super proud of. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Isn't that fantastic? That and like is. five years later, I taught it. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was, I was in college in Southern California for one semester and decided that I either needed to drop out and just enjoy Southern California life, or I needed to go somewhere where, uh, I'd only study. And uh, so I went back to, uh, it's not a knock on the school. I actually love it. Uh, go Bruins. I went to George Fox because uh, it's in oh, Newburgh. Wow. And what else are you going to do? And uh, I actually, uh, there was a family friend. There is a family friend who uh, at the time was an undergrad professor there, uh, Mark McMinn, psychologist and friend of mine now and colleague, I'm proud to say. And uh, he let me into a class called Systems of Psychology, which was sort of a, a history of psychology and how the various schools kind of fit together and influence each other. And it was a class that was pretty much only sophomores, but he said, sure, you can come on in. And I was like, this is perfect. I got to see an intro. I'm totally ready. <laughs> um, and I did not want to let him down. I am very interpersonally oriented. Wow. I'm very motivated by relationship. And yeah. I, I honestly just didn't want to let Mark That's down. That's super cool. And so I ended up doing really well in the class and just, and I fell in love with it and um, ended up, uh, ended up volunteering up at Oregon Health Sciences University with another psychologist who's uh, still doing research here in Portland, uh, Greg Clark, who had gone to the University of Oregon uh, as a grad student. And I, he invited me in, even though I was really young, um, I was, uh, enthusiastic. I was going to say ambitious, but I'm not sure that's the right word. I was, I was enthusiastic and he took a chance on me and let me, uh, come in and sort of offered a sink or swim thing. And again, didn't want to let him down. So I worked really hard to swim and I ended up working up at OHSU for geez, like three years prior to grad school. And that, uh, very much helped me uh, get into graduate school and uh, I thought I was going to be a treatment outcome researcher. That's what he had done, and huh. I I thought a lot of him, and I I that's what I wanted to do. And I think partway through grad school, I discovered that I wanted to be a little bit closer to the front lines. And yeah, I wanted to work with people. I had a little bit of a crisis, maybe a little bit like yours, Jenna, of like, what am I going to do now? I just did it middle of graduate school. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah. when did you? become so interested in acceptance and commitment therapy. I wonder about both of you, yeah. if you ended up practicing for a while, learning about these different types of treatments and then seeing the effect of acceptance and commitment therapy just being so much better to, for your patients and for yourself, really. Is that kind of how it happened? For for me, I actually, I initially uh, was um, part of a, a specialty clinic uh, doing dialectical behavior therapy, sort of a related 
uh, treatment approach. In, Is this uh, with Marsha <clears throat> Linehan mm-hmm. in Seattle? No, I was actually here in Portland. Portland oh, wow. Portland DBT program um, and help uh, get that off the ground. And uh, I did that for 10 years and uh, very much enjoyed it, found it extremely meaningful. Uh, DBT is a treatment predominantly for people who uh, end up having a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, but um, also other things. Uh, and and uh, I did that for 10 years and then uh, adopted a sibling set of kids and left the practice for a few years to be a stay-at-home dad. And uh, when I decided that I wanted to come back into practice, uh, I discovered my colleagues uh, and people like Jenna. It was I, I've, I've told you, Jenna, it was finding you was sort of like uh, going to a family reunion and finding cousins that you didn't know you had. Mm. Like, I didn't even not know. Not the annoying cousins. Though. No, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but it's the it's the finding the people that it's yeah. like, I didn't know we were related. Yeah. I was over here in my world of working with um, chronically suicidal folks and and talking about emotion dysregulation and mindfulness and and all of this stuff. And you're over here doing this contextual behavioral stuff, which DBT is too, but mm-hmm. um, I think we just felt a little more like our, we're, we're doing our thing and discovering that I could, I had developed this area of expertise and didn't really want to completely set aside everything that I had learned and the way that I think, um, but I wanted to be more of a generalist in the sort of people that I work with. Huh. And so... Um, Leaning into act was not a huge shift for me. It was it it felt very easy and it felt related to something that I had already spent a lot of time learning about and doing. Jenna, would you kind of explain what act is for people who don't know? While sure. you, at the same time, sure. tell me about your kind of journey into ACT. Yeah. So, um, well, my origin story with act is not nearly as lofty as as Brian's. Was mine lofty? <laughs> well. Mine was a little more, um, we talked about counterpliant before. Uh, Mine's a little more counterpliant. So ACT is a, um, lots of ways to describe it. Uh, ACT stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it is a contextual, kind of a therapy outgrowth of contextual behavioral science that says that the goal in life is kind of, the idea about health is to develop psychological flexibility and psychological flexibility are those skills that allow us to be with the difficult things that life will inevitably give us while still keeping our eye on what is most important and having our life be in the service of what is most important. So kind of in a nutshell, that's how I understand ACT. But I was ACT, um, in, I think it was 96. It might have been 1997. So before the first ACT book ever came out. And it was in graduate school. And our amazing director of clinical training, Diane Arnkoff, gave us this weird paper from this guy, Steve Hayes, that was describing kind of this new new treatment. And there were, I don't know, six of us in our cohort that read the the article, including my partner, uh, my now partner, um, and all of us hated it, 
except for my partner, Jason, who absolutely loved it. But then I was like, well, I'm not going to do what my boyfriend does. (laughs) And so literally for about two or three years, I was like, I don't like this act stuff. Jason likes the act stuff. I don't like to act. And then eventually I'm like. I like cheetahs. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I'm, I'm all about attachment theory. And so, but then eventually I was like, fine. All right. I guess it's kind of cool. How widespread do you think it is that if somebody is listening to this podcast in New York or in another country, I notice we have some people listening to the podcast in Russia. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how they are. Mm. They must be expats who, or somebody who understands the language, but is ACT available? Yeah. So across there's, the country? It, oh, it's, it's um, an international, um, the Association of Contextual Behavioral Science, which is kind of the professional home for ACT people, um, is an international organization. And actually about half of its members are outside the U.S. Oh. So the kind of largest concentration of ACT therapists would be in the U.S. and then Sweden and Australia, um, a bunch, I mean, all all over the place. Um, so, and actually speaking of Russia, um, my partner Jason is actually doing some ACT research with folks in Russia. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think so, we just found the seven degrees of separation. Yeah, right there. Russia, that could be where right they are. there. Right. Um, so what, what do you think is the benefit of ACT over some of these other types of therapies? I know you described mm-hmm. what eventually people, you hope people get out of it, but what do you think the benefit is? Well, the way I describe it to my clients is I think a lot of times mental health is focused on what it is that you don't want and trying to help people get rid of the things that they don't want. They don't want to feel anxious. They don't want to feel depressed and trying to develop other skills to get rid of those things. And um, an ACT approach is quite different in that it really shifts the focus towards helping people identify what would be most meaningful in their life, like what they want their life to be about. It's what we call values. And then once that has been identified, then we work on developing the skills that are necessary to help you deal with all of the painful stuff that you do have while keeping an eye on, you know, it's always about what it is that you want. Mm. So that for me was is is a fundamental shift from, a lot of normal mental health treatments. That's a great um, description. And Brian, I'm thinking about how you deal with a lot of people who are suicidal. And one of the things that I've noticed in people who are suicidal is they often don't have the imagination to tell you what it is they do want. Yeah. They're, they're, They're so depressed, so lacking in imagination. How do you help those people begin to craft the vision of themselves that is actually wanting something? Well, don't you think that if you're that if you if you're that lost in the pain of your experience, um, talking about the things that you want in your life feels like torture. It it feels so far away and it feels so difficult to access that I understand why people might not might not um, dream isn't the right word, but entertain those thoughts. And you know, I think there's two things there. One is uh, if I were to ask somebody who was saying, you know, I have these thoughts about about killing myself, if I said if I had a magic wand and I could and I could do anything for you, what would you want it to do? Probably the answer is not going to be that you would kill me. 
It would be that you would fix something or that you would allow something to happen in my life. Um, and, and so it isn't so much that people want to die. They just don't want to be living the way they're living. Mm. Um, so that's, that's part of it is helping people live the way they want to be living. And when Jenna was saying that, um, this, this approach in act is about not just symptom reduction, but leaning into the things that are important to you, sort of living well. Um, the problems that do show up in your skin, the thoughts and the feelings that you have are particularly problematic if you experience them and carry them in a way that interferes with you being able to do the stuff that matters to you. Values, this is the second part though, but values is not really about achieving some goal or achieving some milepost like I want to be successful in my business or I want to have this kind of a relationship. Values have to do more with the way in which we move through the world and the way I engage in my life. So it isn't, um, you know, if I was going to say uh, a goal would be I want to get to New York City. A value is more like I want to travel east. Right. I want to be facing in an eastward direction. And moving in an eastward direction is what gives me a sense of vitality and engagement in my life, whether I'm 50 yards or 50 miles from where I started. And if I faced west for months in this moment, if I can turn and face east and take a step and lean into this thing that feels important to me, mm. that's meaningful engagement in your life. One of the things that you said, Jenna, or maybe you talked about it, Brian, was how frustrating it is sometimes when clients come in and they're all like, I'm feeling so much better. I'm really psyched. My psychiatrist switched my meds up and it's really working. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about the interplay between psychiatry and the type of behavioral therapy that you do, because it must be difficult with clients to try to figure out which is it that's working? Is it because we're starting to teach you new ways of not looping in those disastrous thoughts? Is it because we're moving toward values? Or is it really because your mood is more elevated because the SSRIs are on top? Yeah, I would say, to be totally honest, when I get frustrated with those things, it's probably my own ego that is <laughs> that's the problem. I'm like, really? I thought we'd been doing some great work together. Um, so that's... In all honesty, probably yeah. what's happening there. Um, and and for me, I mean, that's a really normal human kind of urge is to figure out why is this happening? Why is this happening? Yeah. And I have found it to be more useful to kind of shift the focus on, cool, so let's learn what is working. So I don't care quite so much in that moment when my client has this, oh, my gosh, it's so much better now. I don't... I. I don't care quite as much about helping her or him um, say, well, it's because of the medication or because of X, Y, or Z. I want to know what feels like the thing that's working. Oh, you're out engaged in the world more. Oh, and how are you engaged in the world? That's the piece that Brian's talking about. It's like how are you moving through the world that you feel is more meaningful or important to you? And then once we sort of have those things kind of identified, then we can talk about lots of different ways to help um, sort of support and sustain that behavior. And, you know, some of my clients are on medication. Some of my clients aren't on medication. Some of my clients use yoga or meditate or any other thing mm -hmm. that is something that they feel like, 
oh, this helps me. Yeah, right. Great, great. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's a mistake, Jenna, that you said when you said what is working, that the, the answer that you, the example of an answer that you gave was not simply, I feel less sad. Oh, no, absolutely. Right? Yeah. You talked about yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. How are you engaging? How are you closing the gap between the way things have been yeah. and the way things, the, the way you would like them to be yeah. in your life? Yeah. Not just your emotional experience. Yeah, because the problem when people are asking about the, is it medication or is it therapy? They're focused on why do I feel better? And I'm I'm more curious about what are you doing in your life right now yeah. that makes your life worth living yeah. more. Yeah. Right. I, I have just been fiddling with the footer on my email as a way of distracting myself from doing my taxes. <laughs> and uh you so, call it a footer? Well, a signature? I guess it's not a footer, is it? Signature line. A signature it's line. It's the difference between but the that, dash and the slash. I know. Yeah, I know. Oops. That's Yeah, awesome. but there's all kinds of neat little hyperlinks and blah, 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 oh and pictures and whatnot. And of course, I had to put this thing on here. But the but I added a line. You called it a footer. You know what I mean. <laughs> Anytime I can call somebody else out on a lack Do of ten, technical knowledge, yeah, technical, I just feel, oh my yeah, gosh. When I submit it to the interwebs. <laughs> yes. Um, but the line across the bottom that I added is not a line that's that's special to me it's something i heard a long time ago but it is you know ships are safe in the harbor but that's not what ships are for mm-hmm. and if the goal is to not feel a bunch of things mm-hmm. not feel anxious not feel scared not feel threatened um you know dry dock your boat sure but then why the hell do you have a boat yeah right we talked about doing this podcast and it's like this is in Yours and my, Jenna, it's it's very much in Sheila's wheelhouse. It's not it's not in yours and my wheelhouse. No. The content is, but doing this is kind of a little bit nerve wracking. It's exciting, but it's also a little scary. If the goal was to fucking not be terrifying, Brian, for <laughs> me. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm trying to downplay for the, it. For the introvert over here, really terrifying, <laughs> right? And you're willing to do that. You're willing to yeah. experience that in the service of something that matters to exactly. you. Exactly. That is living well over feeling good. Absolutely. Yep. This is. Um, I love this so much because it it sort of gets back to the idea of if we all had one goal for this podcast. What would it be? And for me, my goal has always been I've wanted always to do something that was much deeper than I was able to do in commercial broadcasting to reach someone who I might not have been able to reach in another way that gives them just a tiny bit of curiosity into how they can Mm -hmm. start living better. Because I honestly think that that's how ultimately we end up curbing the suicide rate because that's my, of course, my my end goal. Um, But because this is so organic and new is there something that you have wanted to achieve by doing this that maybe I haven't thought of yeah so you know when I when Brian actually first talked to me about this and the idea of it uh, my first reaction is hell no like absolutely (laughs) not it took us a while to get to yes yeah yeah. I'm still working on the yes it's like every Monday morning I'm I'm choosing yes um oh so you were his pack project and every time he saw you he just took out a little bit more of your no that's exactly right Uh I don't bite I just gum you to death you do um But the thing that sort of got me to yes, and it was actually in through having conversation with you about it, Brian, is 
I just think so much of the conversation around psychological suffering is this model of pathology yeah. that if you experience pain, there's something wrong with you and you better do something to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I see a lot of clients, but the amount of people that I might be able to contact through this medium compared to like the people I get to work with is such a huge opportunity to say like if you're experiencing pain like that does not mean there's something wrong with you and we have the tools we have some things that can help you live a life that is meaningful and vital and vibrant and a life of integrity even in the midst of pain that life is going to give you. Mm, it's so, so beautiful yeah, because the one thing we all know is that suffering is something every human gets yes. to do, right? That's Buddhist right. got Not that now, right. Later. Yep. Yeah, some of yep. us earlier than others, yep. more often than others, but honestly. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Brian? Is there something like that? Yes, likes and good reviews. <laughs> okay, no, you heard it here first. No, actually, I, I'm with Jenna. I... I see I see a number of clients, but the number of people that may listen to this is far greater than the number of people that I can see in my practice. And I don't want this to be just another podcast about, hey, if you're struggling with how you're feeling, here, try this to struggle more effectively. Uh -huh. right? um, we don't I don't want to help people figure out how to you know, escape their feelings or get away from their pathology or fix themselves. We're all in this soup of life. I am, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I am. And um, I don't know about the two of you, but I am. <laughs> Crickets Please. chirping. Right? Please. Drop. Are you kidding? <laughs> yes. Let the record show I'm getting nods. Uh, um. and, and it's like if if somehow somebody listens to this and feels like they are in good company with either us or our guest or other humans and that um, they can reduce the amount of pain they feel about their pain, mm. right? And that they can turn their attention towards how can I not get rid of this, ace it out, run away from it, solve it, fix it, but how can I experience it in a way where I have room to live, to, to do things that matter, to, to participate, um, even if, you know, to go back to the ships, even if my boat takes on water sometimes, yeah. or gets a little scuffed up, or my hole gets dinged. It's like, I want people to sail. I it's do. It's so beautiful. It's a perfect place to end. Um, this You've been listening to Brian Goff, Dr. Brian Goff, practices here in Portland, Oregon, and Dr. Jenna Lejeune. So fun to meet the doctors. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah.